this is Nim, and you're listening to A Spoonful of Medicine, topping up your paediatric knowledge one spoonful at a time. On this week's episode, we're taking a look at the febrile baby. Now, if you've ever worked at an emergency department or in the hospital on the paediatric ward or indeed in a clinic, a febrile baby is not an uncommon presentation. I've just come off doing a number of months in the paediatric emergency department and febrile babies are a presentation that we see multiple times a day. And so if we see it, we really need to know about it and chances are you could be tested on it. So it's a worthwhile time to take a look at the febrile baby. Now, before we dive in, I just want to make a quick note. Although the presentation itself is common, we can never be laissez-faire about the presentation itself. Because remember, a neonate is vulnerable, and so a fever can herald a significant infection, and a significant infection can cause quick clinical deterioration. So prompt detection and management of the febrile baby is really, really important. Now, when you Google the febrile neonate, you will see so many guidelines and so much information. It's like an absolute avalanche. Because I work in Queensland, Australia, I've taken the Children's Health Queensland guidelines as the main resource for this episode. But if you live somewhere else, indeed in a different state or a different country, just make sure you have a look at your local guidelines because they have practices that are specific to you. Nonetheless, The general assessment, investigation and management approach for a febrile baby is pretty common across the guidelines. And so getting an understanding of how to approach and what to do for a febrile baby is what I'll try to focus on in this episode. So what is a baby? I know I've been using neonate and baby interchangeably up until now, but it is really important to make that distinction in terms of what we exactly mean in terms of the age of the child. Because febrile infants aged less than three months have a higher risk of serious bacterial infection, with the risk being greatest in the neonatal period. So for the purpose of this episode, and indeed in many neonatal guidelines and febrile baby guidelines, A neonate is classed as any infant that is 28 days or less chronologically and baby I will use in this episode to mean any child that is 28 days to 3 months of age. Now you may be wondering why we need to make that distinction in terms of age. It's because um, the immunity and the pathogens that will affect and cause a fever in a neonate are going to be different to a baby, which are indeed going to be different to an older child. For example, children between the ages of three months and three years who've had their immunity boosted with vaccinations are actually at a lower risk than younger children's to have serious bacterial infections. Indeed, children over three years of age um, have a bit more of a mature immune system. So they are again at a lower risk of a, a serious bacterial infection. And they also have an ability to verbalize their symptoms. So we can narrow down the cause of a fever in these kids a bit better. And finally, in most children that are younger than five years of age, but older than that sort of three to six month um, age bracket, the most common cause of the fever in them is a viral infection. And so the approach and ability to narrow down um, to a viral infection is very different than in a neonate who we can't narrow down the symptoms and we need to take every fever seriously. 
Now, what do we mean by a fever? So a fever, or to be febrile, is defined as a temperature greater than or equal to 38 degrees centigrade. Um, And it's really important to know two things. Firstly, pyrexia of unknown origin is not the same as a child that comes along with the fever with no obvious source. Because a PUO, or pyrexia of unknown origin, actually refers to having a fever that's lasting 10 to 21 days without a cause identified on history or assessment. Um, And it's not really the scope of the episode today. Another thing to keep in mind about um, fevers in babies and indeed fevers in neonates is that infants less than that three-month age may not actually mount a fever in response to a serious bacterial infection. And hypothermia or temperature instability can actually herald signs of a serious infection. And so the fever alone should not be the main guiding force. It is a strong clue and it is a reason for us to investigate a child However, if a baby looks unwell, is not feeding, um, or just seems off otherwise without a fever, still think infection. So what causes a fever in a neonate and in a baby? Well, it's really hard to list all the causes and all the pathogens, but what is better to remember is what are the pathogens that you are going to be seeking for and actively wanting to exclude? Because these are the pathogens that may cause sepsis and serious bacterial infections. So if we begin with neonates, we can make a distinction at the 72-hour mark because any fever in the baby before 72 hours We should be thinking early onset neonatal sepsis and any fever after that 72 hour mark, we think late onset sepsis. In early onset sepsis, the predominant uh, bacteria is group B streptococcal or group B strep. Um, And then the second most common is E. coli or Escheria coli. And risk factors for this are a maternal group B positivity or colonization swab in pregnancy, amnionitis, premature or prolonged rupture of membranes, and also if there is a preterm birth before 37 weeks. Next, if we look at the causes of a late-onset neonatal sepsis, these pathogens um, include group B strep, yes, as well as E. coli, but also coagulase negative staphylococci, staphylococcus aureus, um, we're thinking of Klebsiella pneumoniae, enterococci which are tend to be a bit more common in preterm infants as well as listeria and salmonella and it's also really important to never forget viruses such as herpes simplex virus and pyrecovirus um, and you can have a listen to the neonatal hsv episode or minisode that is being put up earlier now if we have a look at those babies that are one to three months of age now When we look at how common bacterial versus viral infections are in these babies, we can see that viral etiologies are a little bit more common than bacterial, but we still need to assess uh, appropriately. Viruses can be anything from enteroviruses to things like rotavirus if it's a gastrotype illness. Um, They can also have respiratory viruses and RSV is a really important one. And this is also an age group that we need to be thinking of bronchiolitis too. Other infections can be things like urinary tract infections from E. coli or other enteric bacteria. These babies can also have acute um, otitis media, and that can be from strep, haemophilus, or mozzarella. Um, and these children can also have concurrent infections, and that's something to really keep in mind. 
For example, some studies show that the estimated incidence of UTIs among infants that are less than three months of age with lab-confirmed RSV infection can be as high as 5%. So just because a child has a respiratory virus type illness doesn't mean that they can't have another infection brewing somewhere else. Okay, time to start assessing some babies. On history, we want to know when the fever began, how high it's gone, and also how it was measured. In neonates, temperatures should be measured using an electric thermometer in the axilla. For those above 28 days, an infrared tympanic thermometer can also be used. Forehead chemical thermometers, as well as those infrared ones that we see around in COVID times, are not recommended. Nonetheless, if a parent comes in with a febrile baby or a febrile neonate, we do take it on face value and note that they've had a fever within the recent history. Next, we want to know whether the child has had anything that could affect the presentation of the fever. So we want to know if they've had any antipyretics or any antibiotics. So that's things like paracetamol, ibuprofen or antimicrobials or indeed antivirals. One, because we want to know what the response is to the antipyretic or antibiotic, but also two, we can see that if they've already had something, this may be masking the fever, but not quite managing the underlying illness. Aside from all of that, we want to know how the child is feeding, if the feeding is poor or if they're tolerating their feeds, or are they vomiting and not being able to keep down most of what they've been given? What are their wet nappies like? Are they still producing urine? Are those wet nappies different to normal? Are they the same as normal? Or is it a sort of an odd smelling urine when we want to think about could this be a UTI? We want to know if they have any localizing symptoms so I like to go sort of a system-based approach do they have any respiratory symptoms do they have any sort of gastroenteritis type symptoms that's vomiting loose stools do they have any rashes and if so are those rashes blanching or not because as we all know a non-blanching rash heralds in our mind sepsis or significant bacteremia We then also want to find out how the child has been generally. Have they been awake, awaking for feeds? Are they sucking really well? Are they looking around when they are awake? Or have they been very sleepy, lethargic and not interested and sleeping far more than usual? That latter group of symptoms is the more concerning. With this history, really pay attention to the concerns expressed by the caregiver particularly reported changes in the usual behavior whether that be an increased work of breathing or noisy breathing a change in color or a change in normal behavior because a significantly concerned parent should mean that you should be concerned too ask about if there's any sick contacts because they may have an older sibling that has a viral infection that they've passed on to them Also ask about any cold sores because we don't want to miss a baby who is actually having a HSV infection due to a visitor or family member who has passed on HSV from a cold sore. Now let's go on to examining the baby. The examination should identify a source of the fever if possible and also assess for signs of toxicity or early markers that show a possibility of serious bacterial infection. 
features on exam that suggest toxicity in terms of a significant bacterial infection include an altered mental state, the child may not be interacting, they may be seeming quite sleepy or difficult to wake, or in a neonate their cry may be soft. Babies may alternatively be incredibly irritable and inconsolable, unreasonably so compared to normal. Another sign of toxicity could be a tachypnea and also indeed assess for an increased work of breathing. And this may be the baby grunting or having a nasal flare or really sucking in the chest with some intercostal recession and subcostal recession. Whack on a SATS monitor and look for the saturations. Anything that's less than 95% and indeed less than 92% is concerning. Assess the signs of moderate to severe dehydration. Now this may be on a history with significantly reduced feeds and reduced urine output. It may be from a recent weight that's compared from say a few days ago and indeed weight is the gold standard for estimating dehydration. Also look for signs of poor perfusion that may indicate toxicity. So does the child have mottled cool peripheries? Is the cap refill delayed? I.e. is it more than two seconds? If you see any signs of toxicity in a child of any age, but particularly in a neonate or in a baby, it is important to escalate quickly and escalate early. So if you're concerned, tell your senior, tell the boss on the floor, get help and eyes on the baby early. Now it's time to manage some febrile babies and neonates. In neonates, due to their higher risk of serious bacterial infection and the real challenge to reliably clinically assess babies and also for toxicity in these age group, a consistent approach of investigation is recommended irrespective of the clinical appearance. In babies that are 29 days to 3 months of age, they have a lower risk of serious bacterial infection and they can be managed in a step-by-step approach with sort of sequential evaluation of their general appearance, urinalysis, and then the results of blood work. And the reason for this is that this approach allows the identification of the group of infants that are indeed low risk for serious bacterial infection, who can safely be managed as outpatients or with a brief period of observation without the requirement for invasive procedures such as lumbar puncture or requirement of antibiotics. So let's take a look at a baby who comes in that is less than 28 days and has a fever above 38 degrees. In these babies, they get a urine, MCNS, and we want that to be a clean urine. And usually this ends up being done either as a clean in-out catheter, and some guidelines may even go as much as suggest a suprapubic aspirate. These babies also need bloods, and the bloods to prioritize are a full blood count and a CRP, as well as a blood culture. You may also get a venous blood gas if an ED has, say, an ISTAT available to you. Neonates that have gone home and come back again and our fabra will also invariably get a lumbar puncture and the reason for this is because that their blood-brain barrier is a little thinner meaning it's a bit more permeable to infection so bacteremias can actually seed in to the uh, CSF space and also they can have viral meningitis which indeed all children can have but we really don't want to miss 
things like uh, HSV encephalitis um, that can be very, very serious and a diagnosis that needs to be managed quickly. The choice of doing a chest x-ray is often based on clinical concern because if they have respiratory symptoms or any signs of respiratory distress or they have problems with their saturations, then a chest x-ray will be done. However, if they have pretty non-specific symptoms and a respiratory examination that is unremarkable, chances are the pathology isn't going to be in a respiratory location and a chest x-ray may not be done. Now, let's look at the other type of baby, the baby that is 29 days or older. For these babies, we look at them and we see, do they have a typical respiratory illness? If they do, the management goes down the paradigm of bronchiolitis. However, you may consider a urine MCNS to exclude a urinary tract infection. And clinically, this is often done especially in little girls because they are at risk of having concurrent urinary tract infections. It's something easy to treat. It's something that can worsen if it's not treated. And it's a pretty simple investigation to get. If this baby who is 29 days old to three months old comes in with a fever and does not have a typical respiratory illness, that's when we have to go investigating. And the investigations for these babies include a urine MCNS, full blood count, CRP and blood culture. Lumbar punctures are only done if there is a clinical concern or a clinical suspicion that this child may indeed have meningitis and they are not a routine investigation in this demographic. A key thing to note as well is that a viral diagnostic study, so things like respiratory PCRs, are not routinely recommended to exclude a serious bacterial infection because a child can have a positive viral PCR and still have a bacteremia or a bacterial infection. However, in the time of COVID, chances are these children will get a COVID swab. If we have a look at how we interpret the results, there's a few things to keep in mind. First, let's take the urine. A urine dipstick is not a replacement for a urine MCNS because in neonates and in babies, they're not toilet trained. The urine can't stick around in the bladder. So the creation of nitrite doesn't happen. And this means that they can have a urine dip that is negative for nitrites and negative for leukocytes and still have a UTI. So the utility of a urinalysis is simply not there for a baby this young. When we look at full blood counts and the risk of serious bacterial infections, despite being widely used, there's actually little evidence to support the use of full blood counts in risk gratification in the well-appearing immunized child. Furthermore, meningococcal, salmonella and staphylococcal bacteremias don't typically elevate white cell counts. Nonetheless, for children who are not fully immunized, a white cell count can be a helpful indicator for bacterial infection. It's all about gathering clues and gathering evidence. And remember, neonates and indeed three-month-old babies aren't fully immunized yet because the schedule simply hasn't been completed yet. And so white cell counts can be helpful. Next, if we look at CRPs or C-reactive proteins, we know that the CRP is an acute phase reactant and the concentrations start to rise about four to six hours after the onset of inflammation and peak at about 36 to 50 hours. 
the CRP can actually be a little bit more helpful than a full blood count for detecting a serious bacterial infection, especially if it's used after 12 hours of the fever. However, the challenge is knowing what level a CRP is in terms to categorize it as it being raised. One systematic review has found that a CRP greater than about 80 is associated with a 72% risk of a serious bacterial infection, whereas a CRP less than 20 has about a 5% risk of a serious bacterial infection. But to be honest, there's no real definitive cutoff value. And in the absence of, a guess, a clear threshold, CRP should be used for screening on the advice of a senior clinician. And a senior clinician should help you in terms of interpreting what a CRP result means in the context of each baby. Okay, let's finish off with a little bit of management. In terms of supportive management, we can remove excess layers of clothing from a baby or child, or but this is often not done because babies can lose a lot of heat quickly. Oral fluids or feeds in a baby, if tolerated, should be encouraged to maintain hydration. You can give antipyretics to the awake child to provide them from some relief from the discomfort caused by the fever. But remember, paracetamol and ibuprofen will not manage the underlying cause. And educate the parents that although the fever may come down, we still need to investigate for the cause. In children, we avoid aspirin as the, there is an uncommon possibility of Rye syndrome and this increases if the child has varicella or an influenza-like illness. If the baby that's come in is a neonate and has had a fever, then referral to the inpatient teams is required for antibiotic therapy and ongoing observation. In a baby who is between 29 days and 3 months, we look at what the investigations show. If a child has a normal urine microscopy, an absolute neutrophil count of less than 10, a CRP less than 20, is feeding well and has no signs of a toxicity or serious bacterial infection, and a senior clinician has seen them and is comfortable, they may be discharged. However, if there's anything that is concerning on the results and investigations that you've done, Seek senior advice as this child may need antibiotics to treat a specific infection. For example, they may have a UTI um, and inpatient management may be required as well. The indications for admission at a glance include if there's any suspicion for sepsis, if the baby is less than 28 days, if there is a clear source that requires IV antibiotics for its management, the child is unable to maintain adequate oral intake, to maintain hydration um, or if the senior clinician has a concern and believes that this child needs to be observed for a prolonged period of time. In those children who have no toxic features, don't require IV antibiotics and indeed are okay to be discharged, support to follow up with a GP within 24 to 48 hours should be given because we want to check their progress and we also want to make sure that any outstanding results such as uh, cultures from microscopies are chased up. And finally, never underestimate the utility of a good information sheet. Check out the Queensland Health Guidelines or the Children's Health Queensland Guidelines for some great advice to give to parents about how to manage a fever, but also for things to look out for in a child with a fever that should prompt return to the emergency department.
let's finish off with a recap. So if a baby or a child less than three months of age presents the ED with a fever above 38 degrees centigrade, first thing we do is assess the severity. If the child has any toxic features, we treat this as sepsis. If the child is immunocompromised, we want to seek specialist advice. If the child is less than 28 days, we do a urine microscopy, a full blood count, a CRP, a blood culture, a lumbar puncture, plus or minus a chest x-ray. These neonates require IV antibiotics and inpatient admission. A child who is between 28 days and 3 months old, we assess for a typical respiratory illness. If this is present, we then go on to manage them as a bronchiolitis guideline. We also may consider urine, MCNS in this demographic. If the child does not have a typical respiratory illness, we go on to investigate with urine MCNS, full blood count, CRP and blood cultures. If all of the investigations come back reassuring as well as the senior clinician has reviewed the child and is comfortable for discharge, they may be sent home with good safety netting advice. However, if there is any concern on the investigations or indeed any clinical deterioration while in the ED, prompt senior clinician assessment as well as inpatient referral is recommended. And that's been this week's episode of A Spoonful of Medicine. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tell a friend. For the visual learners of us out there, head over to our Instagram page at spoonful.of.medicine for a quick summary of today's episode, along with some other great educational content. If you'd like to get in touch, have a suggestion for a future episode, or have heard something that you think needs a correction, please email us on spoonfulofmedicinepodcast at gmail.com. It's been a pleasure chopping up your paediatric knowledge one spoonful at a time. I can't wait for you to join us on our next episode. But until then, bye.